If you've ever wondered about what goes on behind the scenes at restaurants, then you're in the right place. This podcast takes you inside the minds of restaurant owners, chefs, bartenders, servers, basically anyone who has anything to do with food, drink, or hospitality. I'm Brady Vixilio, owner of Steinhilber's Restaurant in Virginia Beach, and La Bella Italia on Laskin Road. Welcome to the Czech Podcast. I'm Alvin Williams, co-host of the Czech and owner of Cobalt Grill Restaurant at Hilltop North in Virginia Beach. Welcome to our podcast. Today on the Czech Podcast, we're welcoming Carla and Vivian Montano from Luna Maya. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. Nice to be here. Good afternoon and welcome to the Czech. Uh, Carla and Vivian Montano are from Luna Maya Restaurant in Norfolk, Virginia, a great establishment. And we are here to talk to them and find out a little bit about their background and their restaurant and how they're uh, faring through this pandemic as we go on. We're originally from La Paz, Bolivia. Um, for people who don't even know where Bolivia is, it's right in the middle of South America. I met my husband there. Um, he was a Navy SEAL doing some work during the drug wars training uh, Bolivian Special Forces. And I met him there and we uh, started dating and um, we had a long distance relationship for um, around a year and a half or two. And then we decided to to get married and I moved here to this area. Is that long distance, like 5,000 mile long distance? Yeah, because he, he was there for three months and I was there temporarily as well because I was working there and uh, Vivian was living in Paris and uh, she had an apartment, a great job. And I was in the middle of, I don't know what I wanted to do. So I already had plans to go and uh, spend some time with her. And and Dave was all over the world. And so we were kind of dating in Bolivia. And um, I came to visit him here when he was living here and then in, in Paris. And and he always makes fun of it. He's, he always tells me, who could say no to Virginia Beach yeah, right. <laughs> in, in, from Paris? What led to the decision to you both opening a restaurant or how, how did that come about because you're in bolivia and you're in paris la da and um how do you get to be here the both of you i was you know our backgrounds are uh, both vivian and i um, have degrees in economics and international relations vivian was working in, in finance in in paris and uh you know i was getting ready to go on interviews and uh getting a job i had finally you know um, gotten my um my green card and I was trying on, I was at Dillard's trying on um, some uh, suits, business suits and, you know, moderately heeled pumps. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, this is not the uniform I want to wear every right. day. Yeah. So um, I just thought, you know, some words that my mom had t- always told me years back because, you know, we come from a family of entrepreneurs. She said, you know, when you have your own business, you write the rules. You're the person who's going to decide what to do. And then I thought, I think... <laughs> I think I should think about something along those lines. Yeah. But um, at that time, I had to sit there and think, what is it that I know how to do better than, than I guess, the average person? The more and more I thought about it, it dawned on me, food, you know, because our life had been deeply uh, surrounded by food, caring about food and ingredients and um, just so, such an integral part of who we who we were that I felt, I think I can, I can do this. And back then there wasn't that many restaurants in, in this area or many ethnic restaurants at all. So I felt that there was room for that. And that was a place where we could start. Carla, when did you go to Paris and was, did you 
do anything in the food scene there or was it something totally different like no i was just learning french oh you <laughs> I was learning french okay. i was working and she was learning you so you were oh okay i understand now um, yeah. we have never been in the food industry okay in any way shape or form in a restaurant and decide so to open a restaurant part of it can be because i had no idea what it was <laughs> like so yeah um, but uh, by the time Carla told me about her plans, I was my office had moved me to New York City. And I think you had mentioned this in one of uh, your previous podcasts. New York City is a really tough place to live in. Uh, yeah. And for me in particular, being a woman in finance was really difficult. Um, and j- just the life there is, is totally different than in Paris. I, I will say that. So when Carla called me and said, hey, I'm thinking about maybe starting a restaurant. And at the time she was working at the Coastal Grill, and that's, she can tell you a little bit about that. Um, she said, I think we could do it. And I thought, heck, why not? I can go, you know, give it a year or, and then I never left. I also met my husband. Oh, really? <laughs> he used to be a customer. <laughs> What culinary influences did you have in Bolivia that really made that foundation? I mean, obviously, you have a lot of cultural food there, but what did you bring? You know, Alvin's got his special things that he's brought from England. I've got my shrimp. (laughs) What's your your version of that? Oh, the version at Luna Maya is, in many strange ways, we decided to open more of a a Central American, Mexican-style restaurant because most people were not really familiar with Bolivian food or really would know what it was about. It was also difficult to get all the ingredients. So then we decided, okay, well, let's try to work with something that's familiar, but also familiar to us. The pepper sauces, the way of cooking is very similar that we're familiar with. So what we did is we took all those ingredients and then infused them with how the sauces that we would make, how we would, you know, how we grew up cooking them. And right now, you know, the, the most popular dishes since the very beginning are the tamales luna maya, the corn casserole, the piquelo macho, our house specialties. And those are very much part of what we grew up with. Um, for example, most people who um, know tamales are used to the denser made uh, with masa. And those are delicious. But the ones we grew up with were made with fresh corn. So they were sweeter, had some cinnamon in them. And so and and then the beef or the, the meat isn't wasn't put in the middle, but was put on top of it. So as to not, you know, be consumed, like the juices be consumed and be dry in the middle. So we put that on the menu. And since day one, it's been the biggest seller. I think you can't really have it that way anywhere else in the world. It's singular to Luna Maya. And and who taught you? You said you you grew up uh, preparing these dishes. Was it a a, a mother, a grandparent, or who, who taught you? Was it collective family it was, members? It was it was mostly my mom, but watching also you know all our family members cook. But more importantly, I I feel like I acquired those ten thousand hours, you <laughs> yeah. know, of mm-hmm. of cooking because um when my older sister Romy was ten, she asked my mom. You know, why do we always eat the same things? You know, and my mom looked at her very quizzically saying, what do you mean? And she said, well, this is all Bolivian food. Why don't we ever have Chinese food or Mexican food? And uh, <laughs> and my mom basically, you know, looked at her like, look at you <laughs> complaining. And uh, she said, well, every Sunday have at it. Cook whatever you like. Oh, wow. I remember we first started getting recipes from uh, from magazines. You know, you would see an image and you would be, well, that looks really good. 
no food channel, no right. internet. Yeah. Remember 70s here? And it's almost like you could take a voyage of hundreds of miles by preparing one dish. You didn't know what it's supposed to taste like. Right. What does Hungarian goulash taste yeah. like? But you could by making it, and and therefore you know it it it, it uh, you really get experience in cooking one thing. But then you also kind of taste it, and you feel like is there something wrong with this? And she was very obsessive, so she would try to do it again and again and again, make it better to make it better to see what what you know, and then maybe cross reference with maybe other recipes. She got a, a Joy of Cookbook. Yeah, yeah, and the Joy of we, Cooking. And then we we started making Russian charlottes. We had no idea what a pie was. What is a pie? What does it taste like? It's very English. And what is, what's a pie? <laughs> yeah. So through through cooking all of those different things, we started to sort of learn. You know yeah. what makes what makes you know all these recipes sort of seem similar. When you make a, a pâte brisée, it's similar to you know to a pie crust, but there was a differential of you know a few ingredients. But the results still, the flakiness, all those things seem to to be similar. So you can, we kind of learned just by, by I guess, experiment. Did you get all the ingredients that was in those recipes or did you have to improvise? Both. Oh. Sometimes we could get all of them and sometimes we, we couldn't. We yeah. didn't have strawberries or certain items. Also, I think it, it should be noted that in La Paz, there were no Italian restaurants. We had never had fresh pasta. So I remember one time there was um, this magazine with the celebrities' favorite recipes, and one of them was Sofia Loren's Bolognese, and my sister made fresh pasta. Wow, that's awesome! So, yeah. And we didn't have a pasta machine, so we, you know, we Just used rolled a, we rolled it out, and then you know, cut it up, and yeah. you know, did everything. That's the first time you know we had pasta. I'm sure it wasn't the last time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I think little by little, we, we really started learning from, you know, all kinds of different cuisines, including my, um, both my parents were fantastic cooks. They cooked more traditionally, but they did know all their ingredients. They knew about cooking seasonally. My mom was, she also believed in, in not only eating season, seasonally because it was at its best then, but also because it was at, at its most inexpensive so she would go and meet the the trucks that were making deliveries to the markets and she would buy like 200 oranges. Wow. <laughs> so and then she had to figure out ways what do we do with all these? So we would start making, you know, all kinds of things. She made them. marmalade, she made a lot of jams <laughs> when she bought like 100 peaches and Yeah, you got all that all that stuff, you got to use it up. Yeah. It reminds me it's a little bit of a tangent, but it reminds me of, of my mother is a, my mom's a very good um, pianist and she'll play classical music. And when she plays the classical music, it makes me think about, well, this is exactly the way it sounded. And it was exactly the way, same instrument and same, the, that music, the written music transcends time and geography the same way that a recipe can. Yeah. And when you take a recipe, it's almost like, like reading music. You can make your own little interpretations and you put your own little spin on it. But it's still that base is the Chopin or the. But that's Mozart how that's or, how dishes evolve. You know, you put your own spin on it and and do things a little differently, but you still got that, that yeah. base. And yeah. it's music. Right. I mean, in a way, you have your signatures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about your professional start. I guess here at uh, you mentioned Coastal Grill, which is a restaurant here in Virginia Beach, and how you managed to rope your sister into starting a, a restaurant with you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, well, 
I I really felt, you know, and I guess it was good that I didn't know then what I know now. Um, so therefore, it really gives you a lot of hubris and feelings that you know that it's it's not that hard. I I knew Jerry Bryan through a mutual friend who's the owner of Coastal Grill, and you know, and I really loved everything he did. And I saw how how well his restaurant ran, and I just you know asked to to talk to him one day, and, and you know, and he's just such a generous and kind person because. He looked at me and what I thought was a great offer, which was, you know, I, I, I would really like to learn and I would work for free. And um, I think he was like, well, that's not such a <laughs> good deal for me because, you know, he's he's looking at me as someone who's starting from zero, who doesn't really know anything, which was was the case in, in terms of working in a restaurant. But I did have a lot of experience with food and cooking. Yeah. So he felt like, well, you know, she'll come in and. And at that point, we were friends, so he's probably, if I say no, then it'll be kind of not good. So he was like, but then if she goes in and she sees how tough it is, she'll be out of here in a week. So no problem, you know. <laughs> and But when I went in, I, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed just the the prep work. The, the service end is so different uh, and um, how organized and and how it all, all flows and how different it is actually from home cooking. Yeah. You know, because everything needs to be finished off right then and there, and it can't take too long. Yeah, and he's you a know. great operator. It's very meticulous. He, I think, yeah. he has a military background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, drill sergeant. A drill. That's right. And but he's great. He's awesome, and his food's consistent. And he's been a, a great pillar in our community. That's that's cool that you got to work with him and learn some things. It was very very lucky because you know he. I consider him, you know, our mentor in many ways. I think of Luna Maya as the daughter of Coastal Grill because I always tell him, I said, everything I know about the restaurant business, I learned from you, literally. Also, you know, whenever things get tough or or feel I'm having like an issue, in my the back of my mind, I always think, you know, what would Jerry do? Yeah. And always I know it's where he's like, just pick yourself up and do it. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, you know, it just gives me, a, I guess, a place of strength where I feel like, okay, I can do this. He's given a, us great advice over the years as well. Anytime we met a problem that we thought, wow, what do we do about this? We would call Jerry, yeah. <laughs> ask him for some advice. How do the two of you work together as far as, I mean, you get advice from Jerry, but you also get advice from each other. And I'm sure you, there's some yin and yang there. Tell me a little bit about that. I think for me, I didn't have any experience working in a restaurant and I didn't have a lot of cooking experience either, to be frank. I wasn't cooking. I was doing a lot of the eating at home, I think. Um, plus, I was also six, or, so they probably didn't want me in the kitchen. But I learned quickly. I did a lot of the prep initially because when we first opened, it was a two-women restaurant. It was just the two of us, so we used to do everything. We didn't have a commercial dishwasher, so everything was being washed by hand. Anytime anyone came to visit us, I remember whether it was friends from abroad, uh, my cousin from Chicago, uh, cousins from Bolivia, my parents, they had to work because we were there six days a week. So when they would come to visit, it would be like, what do you want to do? Do you want to wash dishes? Do you want to help us chop the onions? Here are your choices. <laughs> Cook, clean, or bartender. <laughs> Great vacation. Yeah. yeah. For a while, people. They thought they were coming to the beach. <laughs> But we work really well together. So we would spend like so much time in the kitchen. So we came up with a, a lot of um, actually all the recipes together. Both always agreed on what kind of food we wanted to serve, what we wanted a place to look like. Also in terms of, of growing when we went from the first space to the second space, from the second space to the third space, um, we always agreed what direction we should be going in. And I think when, when you're on the same page about uh, macro 
things like that. I think um, you know you have a you know great partnership, and we also get along really well. We travel together sometimes with our families. It could not be better. What year was your first? Because from what I remember, if I remember correctly, and please tell me if I'm wrong, my mind you had the first restaurant was in in Aragona. Yes, in Aragona. Okay, that was quite some time ago. I yeah, remember 1997. Oh, okay, yeah, I yeah. do remember that. Yeah. And great restaurant. So that was the first location. Yeah, it was the first location. And then where? We went from there. Um, we had to make a decision whether to stay in Virginia Beach. We picked the Aragona location because it was in the middle of Virginia Beach in Norfolk. And it was cheap. Yeah. And the that's rent the was thing. very affordable and it was a good and, location. <laughs> and we had given ourselves three years. You know, our, our rental agreement was for three years. And we figured, well, if we can't, you know, make it make right. a go of it in three years, then I guess it's time to fold up. Mm-hmm. You know that wasn't the case. We, you know, we were we got really busy since the get go. Uh, we had a a very nice review in Portfolio Magazine back then. I think yep, it doesn't I exist remember. anymore. Yeah. But we we had like a great review, and and you know as we were reading it, it just started dawning on us like, oh my goodness. You know, at first we were happy, but then we thought like, what is this? And then we saw like a line of people. Yeah. Like you know, wanting to come in. And it was just Vivian and I. So we're sitting there going, we called like all our friends, my husband, you know, everyone to just come in and help us. And they were all like, they're like, okay, we're on it. But it was, it was just. Those articles have those effects. So how, how do two people do it? Cause I know what it is to run a restaurant as does Brady and two people that's, cutting it real fine you got to cook you got to serve you got to yeah. take the money you got to you know to drink day, i mean how, how do you do it with two <laughs> i did to this day i don't even know how we managed but somehow we did we we basically made our customers do a lot of oh, okay. <laughs> really? that's how i met my husband i'll tell you um we used to open <laughs> so for lunch funny. and people had to order at the counter because again yeah we so people would order at the counter and Carla would make the food and I would bring out the drinks and run the food. And uh, my husband, uh, whose office was really nearby, and his brother used to come in for lunch and I used to make them fold the silverware. <laughs> I used to make them run drinks to other tables. <laughs> I got to start doing that. So then at dinner time, we did hire eventually in the neighborhood. There were some kids who worked, um, who were like 16, I think. And, um, you know, they're like, can I have a weekend job? And we're saying, sure. And then we ended up employing a whole family of siblings. <laughs> who used to come in to help, you know, with service. And now you're in the heart of Historic Gantt on Cali Avenue. Yeah. How do you like that location? It's a great location. Yeah. It ended up being the best location by far, particularly during this pandemic, because we have a nice size outdoor space there. It's a big space. Yeah, yeah. and at first we thought it was much bigger than than we wanted, really. But we found a way to change the design elements of it so that we could close off a part of it and use it whenever we would need it. Yeah. You know, and at first we thought like, oh, we're never going to go into that overflow space because it's just so much bigger. But then, you know, the first couple of weeks, one of our customers came up to me and he said, when you guys were in the second spot, I thought you guys needed a bigger place. And now I'm going to say it. You guys need an even bigger place. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I've been there and... Um- you utilized all the space. He's been bumping in there and yeah. everyone having a great time. And I've had to just sit and wait at the front door until the table becomes available. Cause you're, you're so busy, but it's just awesome. But while um, I'm waiting for food there, I, I have some great cocktails. You have some really nice cocktails there. Yeah, I, I am. I was also the bartender. So I was from the beginning. I always used to say, okay, we, we have to kind of, again, have our signature dishes and we also have to have our signature cocktails as well. You self-taught bartender. I actually went to the bartending school here. I don't know. There's uh, one. Uh, There's the bartending school of Virginia Beach. <laughs> yeah. 
It was a weak course. I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you do make a, a, a fine drink over there. Oh, thank you. I think some of the better cocktails in town, I mean, you can find there. Um, we do a margatini, um, which is a um, margarita in a teeny glass, but also I, I do this chipotle salt, which at the time people didn't usually have, you know, spice. Um, it, they only did the salt, but I added the chipotle to it, which makes it quite tasty and makes people drink more again. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think when I've your lips that. are burning. Yeah. Yeah. Because in Latin America, the combination of sweet and spicy is very common. A lot of people, you know, will also buy like a mango, will shake some chipotle powder or any other spicy powder on it and eat it and really have some of that spicy fieriness followed by something sweet. And it really is a nice contrast. And so Vivian kind of thought, well, we should put that on a drink. Yeah. Do you find it easier to get uh, Bolivian ingredients now as opposed to when you first started? It is easier, yes. Yeah. But still not widely available because Bolivia is not a very large country. There isn't really a lot of Bolivian people that you meet abroad. Most of them are sent, like in here in the United States, most of the Bolivians you meet are either up in the D.C. area or in Chicago. Right. And usually when you don't have larger populations of, you know, you don't have the, the products that come along with it. But we're starting to see more and more. The type of corn we use in Bolivia is very different than the corn here. Our, that's why the tamales una maya are very singular, because even though we make them the, with the same way that we would do at home, the corn really does change the the way that, that we would eat them in Bolivia. But yet at the same time, it's familiar to people who like corn here. Yeah. Had we known we were doing day drinking, I would have brought some uh, <laughs> Bolivian wine. Actually, that's something very interesting. Uh, recently, a salesperson came by and said that I know Bolivia has very good wines because we have a region that is very similar to California and we have very good wine and coffee. But the production is so small that not a lot of it goes to export. And just very recently, a salesperson came by and they said that they have somebody who's importing Bolivian wines and they're quite tasty and very affordable. So um, we've been getting some. I don't know if it's coming in regularly now, but it was really good. Well, so geographically, Bolivian wines. geographically, you're close to um, Argentina and Chile. We border, yeah. We border and, Chile, Argentina, yeah. Peru. And all, all good wines are known from that also, region. Also, yes. Yeah. Great wines and, and great food. Yeah. Yes. Argentina, uh, when I think about the cuisine of that part of the world, and I, I'm pretty ignorant to it, but I think about a lot of Argentinians are big on beef. Yes. The, uh, I went to boarding school actually in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. The reason for that is because it's a, it's a really large cattle growing region. Um, they have tons of land. So it's a little bit, I guess I would compare it to Texas. And they do have excellent beef. Uh, the tradition there is they have a lot of Italian immigrants. So they have a lot of Italian food, really delicious Italian food. I have to say, uh, Argentinian food is not similar at all to, say, Bolivian because they don't yeah. use spice. They don't use chili peppers. So what what is it? You've said chili peppers a lot with Bolivian food. Uh, what what else are the kind of the hallmarks of, of Bolivian um, cuisine? Well, in Bolivia, we use a lot of potatoes. The variety of potatoes are is so large. Over there, there's potatoes that are that are sweet, almost like I guess a comparison of what yams would be, yeah. but just like but just like fingerling, and and the textures are different. Some of them are meant to be just eaten, just steamed, because of of the quality, just the butteriness, and and like my dad, you know, when he when he when he visited here, he was always kind of like, "What are these potatoes? 
He's like, these potatoes would only be fed to hogs. You oh, know? Wow. He was always <laughs> well, potato snob. Yeah, he was. He, he really was a potato snob because he had um, his potatoes were brought from the, the city where he was born in Cochabamba. He he actually owned a plot of land with his siblings where they grew the different varieties of potatoes that he loved. And so we would get like these um these baskets of them, we would eat them. And they, they, they do have very different qualities and are used for different things. But that's, you know, an item, items that we, we cannot get here. And a lot of sauces, we ate a lot of uh, different sauces made from fresh and dried peppers, similar to, you know, in, in Mexican cuisine, where they have a variety of, of different peppers, all of different varying heats, but they're used more for flavor than, than for for spiciness, because I think a lot of people think of peppers as, you know, it's only used for to make something spicier, but that's not true. It's they, they do have some spice. All of them do. But a lot of them are quite mild, but they're used mostly for their for their characteristics. Sometimes are some, some of them are smokier and drier. Some some of them are more like raisins and, and have different levels of sweetness and acidity. I mean, so they're used. And in Bolivia, we, we use them similarly. We also ate all parts of the animal. I don't know if in England I do they, they eat more parts of the animal than here probably. They they do, but now it's 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 very big here where they eat more? everything. Well, d only lately I think. Yeah, I think it's something very recent that people animal. will try pig's feet or something like this, but we right. used to eat for example one of our favorite soups was a kidney soup. It was made with tons of kidneys. So it was you can imagine the color of that soup. Yeah. All parts. I mean, like I said uh, one of my favorites was also they used to pickle cow's feet. Yeah. With pickled vegetables. Um, tripe. At every barbecue, you had the meat, but you also had the tripe and yeah. the blood sausage. Yeah. The blood sausage. Delicious. Yeah. Um, My family's Jamaican and they, I mean, everything. The goat head the tail, soup yeah. and oxtail and chicken feet. And, I mean, yeah. everything. Tripe. I remember seeing my mom eat tripe once. I'm like, what is that? And why are you eating it? <laughs> but, you know, you get to learn. I, I drew the line one time. I remember I was probably about 10 and I opened the refrigerator and there was a sheep's head. I thought, I, I said, no, I, I can't. Remember we were at my uncle's uh, farm in Florida. Yeah. And we opened up the freezer. Yeah, he showed us the shed. We go out, yeah. out, out into his backyard. And he's yeah. got a shed, kind of half-built shed. And there's a big chest freezer in it. Yeah. So, so I say, oh, let's look in the freezer, Brady. And we open it up. What's in there? It's, it's a dismembered cow. Yeah. It's just, it's just the head. I put the hoof yeah. sticking one way. I yeah. head looking at you. Yeah. But yeah, they, they use everything. They it, was like, it was like a, like a butcher's version of a Jeffrey Dahmer freezer. Oh, <laughs> So how many years has uh, Luna Maya been in in business in operation now? Well, this coming May we're going to be open twenty five years. Wow! Congratulations! Know, it, goes That's by, awesome. it goes by fast, doesn't <laughs> it? So, all right. So let's think. So you kind of came into this business in a romantic way, and maybe you were a little naive about it and that whole thing. So when you look back on your twenty five years ago self, would you still go into it? How would you feel about it? You know, any regrets? You know, I go back to something Jerry first told me, because when I told him I wanted to open a restaurant, uh -huh. he, he said, after I told him my concept, my idea, he said, it's going to be a labor of love. Okay. And at first I was like, what does that mean? You know, and I think what he meant is kind of like, yeah, you're going to have to do it because you like it, because you're not going to really make much money out of it, you know, because our place was really small, that our first location and then now, many, many years later, 
I come back to that same saying, you know, it is the labor of love because you only keep on doing it because you still love it. Was he was <laughs> he know? trying to talk you out of it, you think? Or was No, he- I think I think he just was very he's very generous and encouraging by spirit. So I think he just felt like you learn what you need to learn. And I don't think he was one to tell me like, oh my God, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Right. And I don't know if, even if he would have said that back then, I would have been like dissuaded. But what he said to me that day, I felt like had meaning back then because it's true. You you are working so, so hard for not very much return at first. And it makes you sometimes wonder, is this worth it? Is it worth it? Mm. And then later on, you realize that there's so much in a restaurant that goes on behind the scenes just to make it work that uh, sometimes it seems like insurmountable, like this whole year and a half, but then you realize you must still really love it. And uh, it's your love for it that makes you keep on going on. She makes it sound so nice the way she describes yeah. it because you and I are normally just bitching about it. Yeah. And, and it sounds like she talks about love and yeah. about all this stuff. And, and, thinking, and oh how it gosh, makes her yeah. feel and how she loves to do it and the labor of love. And, yeah. and we're just like, we must still love it. We're just like, we're I'm tired it. of cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of washing dishes. <laughs> There's a saying in Latin America uh-huh. and it's basically, you know, it fits all of these situations where it's like you have to laugh in order not to cry because if you don't it's what's going on is still gonna go on but you have to sit there and just go okay well i'm going to try to face it with as good humor as i can and eventually you know it can become that um but how do you, also part- how do you say that saying in your native tongue that if you, you have to laugh oh you have to laugh not to cry yeah me voy a reír para no llorar even that sounds yeah, romantic sounds good, yeah, yeah it sounds good <laughs> Well, also, I think part of the satisfaction, and I know you guys have touched on this as well, is we actually make people happy. You know, how many jobs can you do where people really appreciate what you do? And, And a lot of times that is really like every time we see, like, especially when you've been around for as many years as we have to see multi-generational families to be part of people's very special moments um good and bad is just really like you said that that's the satisfying part and it's also we've mentored a lot of young people um carla has um taught a lot a lot of people how to cook because actually we almost prefer um hiring people with no experience because we feel we can you know, teach them things done in a certain way. So seeing those people grow and when we see them as adults and with family, somebody that, you know, washed dishes for us when they were 16 and, and says, wow, I remember like you taught me so many things. That is, I think, really um, good part feeling. of like what you get back. Yeah. You know, you talk about the appreciation of the guests and that is, I mean, that, I think if there's anything that I'd say why, why we put up with what we put up with, it would be that. And sometimes it's just a smile, a, a handshake on the way out, or just a, you know, you just get that, you see somebody kind of lean back in their chair and they, after they enjoy it and they... Or when you see them take their first bite and they're like, oh, yeah, so or, 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 or instant or, gratification. Or even like on the service side when, they're, when their drink runs low and then another drink kind of magically appears and they're just, you can just see, it, see them kind of light up. And there's little things that, that just, it doesn't take much. On the other side, not everyone appreciates it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And, and I, I don't read reviews anymore, honestly. Um, Alan's trying so, to get you me know. off of them. You're in, you're in my you're in my boat. I I I do recognize that people write reviews, and I but I don't obsess over them anymore. I, I think yeah. when they first came out, 
I think they had a lot of power because it was the new word of mouth, right? Because before, before social media, it was really like, oh, you know, one person can tell 10, remember? Yeah. And now it's like, oh, one person yeah. can tell 100, depends on how many right. followers they have or this Thousands. or that. Yeah. But now I think the value of those has been diluted because That's anybody hard. can post a review. So I think people now take it a bit with a grain of salt. Um, they look at the reviews that um, talk about the things maybe they care about and ignore. Yeah. And they want to make you know, their own minds up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then the other thing too, that I realized long ago and Vivian and I have talked about this and that's why we, you know, we really focus day to day on what we do at Luna Maya is that you're only as good as your last meal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. people don't necessarily have as much loyalty sometimes and they feel like, you know, they have one bad experience and then they won't give you try. And the, and the bad experience could be on a number of fronts. It could be because the host wasn't as 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 uh, as nice as they wanted them to be. It could be because you were out of of something. So you yeah. can't control everything, but the things that you can control, you have to try for them to to be consistent. And day people in and day people out. Will always want to try and go to the new the new shiny new place and check it out and that whole thing. But there's a reason why we've all been in business for over twenty years. Because they love our food or our service or our, you know, our staff, and they they come back to us even though they've gone to try the new shiny place. But we we have some value or something that that they love and appreciate. I think consistency, like for somebody to come and and have consistently good food, that is really difficult these days. I think to find. Well, I was about to say sometimes the reason that the host isn't as good as they should be is because the host is a dishwasher because the host <laughs> didn't show up. Yeah. And and you know an extra kid came in the back door looking to wash dishes. Yeah, you're okay, like go you wash host. dishes. You go you go host. <laughs> I mean, these days we've got to shift people around, and sometimes sometimes they're doing things that they're not exactly completely trained on. True. And and in our business, as we've said before, the show must go on. It's not like oh well, you know, three cooks didn't show up tonight, so your birthday party. Yeah, we, is, call it, we have to cancel it no. because. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I know. Understand you're turning fifty, but um, no, we got to figure. But we're it out. unable to serve you tonight. No, you have to figure it out. And sometimes it's not as yeah. not as pretty as it. How have you as been you doing? Make it look. <laughs> how, how have you guys been doing with this? Uh, the pandemic and the staff shortage. How, how has it affected you and your business? It's been brutal. It's been brutal, like for everyone else. Um, but uh, what we try to do is to just keep on going. Figure we've we've decided to really limit the number of parties that we that we're able to host like yeah. we don't host any parties above 12 right now because it it just really makes it really difficult to ha- uh, to be that busy on Fridays and Saturdays and be able to kind of hold a certain number of tables or or, or be able to even have really really large groups but i really feel that um, everyone should work in a restaurant or a service-related industry once in their lifetime so that they can really learn to, to know what the problems and logistical difficulties are for to, to you know, to demand or ask for that extra or, or because it's a lot of times not feasible. Like right now, my biggest, uh, my biggest issue and that's one that I constantly like grapple with is, and I call it the Starbuckization of the world that, Diners have gotten so used to altering and changing whatever is added or taken right. away from dishes right. that sometimes I'm kind of like at the point where what this dish was supposed to be is no longer 
what it is. All these recipes have been calibrated to taste a certain way and we put items together because they belong together. So sometimes I'm just kind of like, it's, if you don't like it, it's because you, <laughs> you like, created Well, especially this. when they, redes- like they redesign your dish. And then they send it back. Well, I don't like this. Well, you know, know. you're the one who said yeah. you didn't want this. This is your dish. Yeah. He did everything but yeah. pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Small anecdote here. One time we had a lady who ordered, I think it was a chicken dish, and she had one bite and she didn't like it. And we said, sure, of course, um, you know, what else would you like? Because, oh. And she ordered all you know, the tamales. And she's like, these are delicious. And then she said, but I think my daughter will like that. Pack it up for me. And we packed it up for her. And then, of course, the server put it on her check. And then when she got it, she thought it was outrageous because she said, I thought you were going to throw it away anyway. That would have been a waste. So I just offered to take it home. Whoa. Let's raise a little glass here to your upcoming upcoming 25th. Is that right? Yes. Oh, thank you. Well, congratulations thank you. on being a we were forgetting great staple. That. Awesome thank restaurant. You. And congratulations on your longevity. Thank you. 21. And Brady's 80-something. <laughs> <laughs> he looks a lot older than me. Than me. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of family and traditions, are we Thanksgiving is upon us. Is that a holiday that you celebrate in Bolivia or not? Not at all. Not at, not all. at all. So there's no but, Thanksgiving well, there's tradition. No Thanksgiving, it's a purely American. But but do you yeah. c- celebrate Thanksgiving here? Of course, I love it. What yeah. what's not to love about Thanksgiving? <laughs> you know. Um, so oh what do goodness. you cook? Do you cook uh, American food? Do you cook uh, South American food? I actually um, stay to the traditions mostly, and I. Most of the time I do get, and I, I don't know, and I guess you will let me know if this is, if my, my theory is correct. I do feel that um, Americans get a lot of pride from showcasing their ability to cook that turkey. Yeah, that's a kind of a thing. And, you know, it's, it's a really, turkey is such an easy thing to prepare, really. And that's the thing, because it's, it's one, of those, one of those things that if you follow the directions on the package, you know, on the, on the, Whatever the outside of the bird, and you got the little popper in there. It comes out perfect, and it's delicious every time. Well, Just, looks perfect. It I mean, looks it looks gorgeous, and but only tastes- the dark meat really tastes. Oh, that's on, what man. I agree. <laughs> but but the thing is, like, but it seems such a point of pride of yeah. whomever is cooking it, and it is. And I think that our uh, both Vivian and mine, um, we've receded into kind of. I enjoy making side dishes. I have this beet uh, fennel goat cheese salad that i make that is it like, i really love so at least i know i'll enjoy right. <laughs> I'll enjoy that but i also um and this comes from from back when we were kids and, and we're baking we baked so much because well what kid doesn't like to eat sweet things right i love making pies i am so in love with the, with the pie making pe- <laughs> pecan pies and apple pies and rhubarb and you know, there's just so many, and I, I love being the one who makes the pies and I make them from scratch, you know, because I, I just love the rolling, the pastry, the, yeah. the, the, the dough out, making the lattices. I mean, everything. My husband's family, uh, they're American and um, they go out to the Eastern shore and always somebody brings some delicious fresh oysters. My brother-in-law fries the turkey, the sisters-in-law, you know, also baking pies, making the mashed potatoes. I mean, we have a lot of food because we make, I, I think um, his family, everybody cooks. I know like other people, when I sometimes talk to other people, they're in charge of making everything. And that I can't even imagine, mm. you know, having to 
cook for a lot of people a lot of different dishes that you don't normally make. Um, I would think no wonder would... so many people like take the dinners from yeah. you know Whole Foods. Or... Yeah, yeah, people <laughs> do that. People come, you know, where the restaurant Cobalt we're open for Thanksgiving, and we have <gasps> oh. a lot of reservations already. I'm sure, pretty much yeah, food sold to out. go. Are you guys doing meals to go? We do um, not food to go, but the people who come to dine. We provide what we call takeout, but like a doggy bag. Uh, leftover. Okay, leftover. leftover pack. Yeah, it's a leftover package because, you know, you go out to a restaurant and you eat for Thanksgiving. And then later on in the evening, after you're sitting at home, you want a snack. And there's nothing because you're at a restaurant. <laughs> so we sell so we sell a little box of food that they can tuck into later. Like yeah. turkey sandwiches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We also just had a um, an American holiday or, ho- or day called Halloween, and I understand that in Bolivia you all do Dia de Muertes. Dia de los Muertos, yeah. And well, and it's, you know, it's to remember the the people in your family who have passed on. And, um, you know, so we traditionally set up a, a little altar where we put photographs and items that are emblematic of, of, of something that the people really enjoy doing in life. And um, we put food for them that they enjoyed, along with flowers and candles and uh and, you know, we make it all about feeling like they're there. You know, so they're they're supposed to, to come to visit you. I remember when I was little, it was a bit scary because, you know, when <laughs> they're like, uh, your grandma's going to come at night yeah. and eat. Oh, that is a little see. spooky Halloween-ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you all tell me if there's any other significant holidays that are food-centric in your in your culture growing up? Like Thanksgiving or Christmas? The period of, all it's called All Saints Day and it's, you know, after Lent. And um, there's a big feast and there's specific particular dishes that are only eaten at that time of year. A lot of them are vegetarian because, you know, most people give up meat during that that holiday and there's a lot of, you know, baking and, and it helps, you know, pass the time, but usually right after we all sit down and have a big meal and and bake a lot of stuff. I remember when we were kids, my mom would buy like a couple of, of, of like 50 pound things of flour. And we don't No one in a house has a way to do that. So she would buy a plastic bag that she would put on the floor and she would empty out the sacks of flour and make like a big hole in the middle and I always remembered it because it was so amazing to me. It looked like, you know, like a mountain. And then they would pour the butter and like 200 eggs and everything. In, and then people would get attack it from different corners and like put it all together. Wow. And then we would take it to the local bakery that had, you know, the, 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 the brick ovens. And they would put all the breads there and, and then it would be a communal, almost like the whole family would sit there and make them. The kids were in charge of making these little pans and they would buy a, a brand new broom. And I don't know why it was a broom because I, I, I always thought as a kid, like, why do we have to like carefully take this whole broom apart so we can get the little um, like hay sticks because we would make the paper boats to put the 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 um oh, it was like the, pound cake. The, it was like the, it was the kind of pound a, a mixture you know kind of the the a very from an angel cake to a pound cake like kind of the in between of that but we made the little um containers like that they would go in the from door. the bristles unravel the paper the, and that we would put we would, the straws oh okay. we put oh, the straws okay. oh yeah 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 and and they would bake that and they would, they would come into these little nice little packages and then after all and then they would also be baking some empanadas that were savory and sweet 
And uh, we would take it all to the bakery and they would all be baked. And then every family member would kind of have like this basket full of different. Bakery. But I just remember that mountain of flour with the <laughs> eggs was, I, I just thought it was amazing. <laughs> I, I, I always looked at it and looked forward to that. My, my whole, I, I guess my whole year almost. I thought that was just the, the best and funnest thing. And then each kid would get their ball of dough and, and they'd be like, hey, you can do whatever you It'll want work, to with yeah. it. And it'll, and you know, we all had our little tin that would be baked and we would all be sitting there watching it going like, Oh, what's happening to it. Do you get back home much to Bolivia? Are those traditions still going on? Do you know? Unfortunately, both my parents have passed. And um, I think with them, a lot of those traditions, exactly the way they made them, you know, has changed. We still uh, make a lot of the food and, and, and do some baking, but it was, it's not at that scale or with that many people because yeah. it almost seems, I don't know, here it's almost people don't necessarily have the time or people just don't get together in that way. Carla and Vivian Montano, we've enjoyed this time with you for on the Czech Podcast, which could be found on thecheckpodcast.com. Thank yep. you so much. Thank you guys for being here. We appreciate you. Um, hopefully, any of our listeners who haven't been to Lunamaya yet will venture down there pretty soon. You're down in the heart of, is it Ghent? Yeah, it's Ghent. Yeah, it's Ghent. Colony Avenue. Right in Colony Avenue. Uh, yeah, on the corner. Beautiful the place. Track. Indoor or outdoor? So, is your outdoor open? Well, it's starting to get a little bit cold. Yeah, you know, but uh, whenever it's 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 a lot, it's you know permissible. We do, yeah. we do have it open. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure to get to you know spend this time with you. If you could fit more people in here, we could have our support group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we, we can we can grow. We can grow out of this room. Yeah. <laughs> have a support group. I think get some more microphones, but we it could be done. Well, again, thanks for being here on the Czech Podcast. I'm Alvin. I'm Brady, and this is the, the Czech. Czech.